Well, welcome everybody back to Words of BG's podcast. I'm Stuart. I'm Cristiano. And we've not changed from the last one. And we are continuing with our run through of Spirits Having Flown. First episode we went through, we covered the first side. So with this one, Chris, we're going to do the second side. So I think we better go and search and find for side two. (laughs) (laughs) You have to stop and think again then. This is a good start to side two, Chris. I've seen on the internet where people think this could have been a, the fourth single. Yeah, I can understand that. It's it's a sprightly track, full of energy, a good choice to kick off side two. And if you think that Reaching Out and Spirits Having Flown were gentler, more ballad pieces, then it's good to go into this really contrasting opener for side two. I think it's taken up a notch with the, with the R&B vibe on this, with the inclusion of the horns. This is one that goes back to what I said with a few tracks on side one, with the use of the key change. The final few minutes of Search Find have quite a few rises in the key in the closing minutes, and that just helps to pump up the energy. In its native state, it could have fit quite snugly into something like Main Course, but it's kind of given a treatment here where it feels such a part of this album. I've um, put in my notes here... Do you think it's a sort of a distant cousin to Staying Alive? And because it sort of melts in this album, I'm just wondering, had it been on Main Course or Children of the World, it would have stood out a bit more. It's got quite a simple chorus to it, but I like the way they use the word find as well. They may put a lot of emphasis on it. Wasn't it when we were talking about the, on Andy about the word just? I just want to be your everything. Now, if you listen to this, it's search, find... And the way they use that word fun, they put a lot of emphasis. So I don't know what they've found or they're looking for. But obviously, it must have been important. Looking at the lyrics, we have search, find, no stone unturned, no hell, no fury, Gonna stop my love and all its glory. Search. Find. (laughs) No man, no God, no pain can sever my love for you. God, we're forever. Do you know those lyrics, reading them on the page, they do put me in mind of a song like Crying Every Day. Yeah. And I think Robin could have done this song good justice if he'd have sang it. Interesting. Now, I recently purchased the second volume of Decades, the Bee Gees in the 70s. I mean, I was so impressed with the first volume that, um, as I say, I went and brought this one. And it continues very much like the 60s one, where they go through all the individual tracks. And then I come across this one, and it's quite an interesting bit that I'll read out to you. It's got, Some listeners have pointed out that the title track from Michael Jackson's 1987 album, Bad, bears a striking similarity to Search Find in the chord structure 
and vocal styling, a bit with a different tempo. understand where the writer is coming from if you break the meter of bad down to its structure you could fit the lyrics of search find on top of it quite easily Listening to the demo, there really isn't much difference to the final version. I can hear more emphasis on the percussion. If Stevie Wonder was to describe it, he might say that they've got it a bit more in the pocket. Yeah. Otherwise, very little difference. And also in the Decades book, they go on to say the track could have easily been a single. The bright, punchy search find harkens back to the looser R&B approach the Bee Gees took on Children of the World. With shiny horns, breezy strings... And session player Howard Cowart's exquisite jumpy bass line chase each other as the song sprints forward. Appropriate as the protagonist seems to be in breathless pursuit of an object of desire. They also say that it's got the R&B approach of Children of the World. Yeah, Search Find would slot in very easily onto Children of the World. Could do, couldn't it? Well, unfortunately, score-wise, I, I've dipped down a bit. I've gone with a seven. And I've gone with a six. Are you sure about that score? Or do you need to stop and think again? <laughs> because I've read on the internet that it's sometimes called Stop Shriek Again. <laughs> From daybreak to sunset you don't really mean Now I know where you go And all the plans you made Playing for a love Not a dream Now when I first brought this This was probably my least favourite track on the album Okay you know how much I like Bee Gees ballads. This is a slow one, but at almost seven minutes, it was a bit excessive. I've listened to the demo, and the best thing about the demo is it's a lot shorter. But I'm saying that, but it's become a bit of a slow burner. Really? Yeah. I think it really works when you combine Barry's vocal with the sax, which I think was played by Gary Brown. Who was, I think he was on a couple of tracks from Children of the World, I think The Way It Was and Subway. And the highlight for me is when Barry sings It's a Great Big World, then you get the sax following it. Just the combination of the two, I think, really works well. But you can hear listening to this song where things like the Heebie Jeebies song takes its inspiration. <laughs> yeah. It's pastiching songs like this, which have rather cliched lyrics. My thoughts on Stop Think Again aren't too dissimilar to yours the only difference for me is that it's not really grown on me yet but that could change 
Well, unfortunately, I've had sort of 40-odd years to, uh, to, to get used to it. To, to yeah. think again about this one. Yeah. I, th- I think this part of the album, this is where we desperately need a Robin vocal, like something from Living Eyes. As it is, Stop, Think Again comes across to me as a dull moment on the album. As you said, it, it outstays its welcome. It just brings the energy down almost to a halt. And I don't like to say it, but to me, this does come across as half-baked. But there is undeniably a great arrangement here. It just plots along too slowly and for too long. I think it was 2020 when we got the reissue and I think they were remastered vinyl. Listening to that, I'm not saying it, it, it completely changes the song, but I, I sat down and listened to it and it, it sort of resonated with me more. Sometimes if you start with side two and not with side one, you sort of ease your way into it. it. It doesn't come as a like a bit of a full stop. I think I need to do that. The next time I play through this album, I'm going to start with side two. And that's the other thing. You've got a really good hi-fi setup and, and you've played albums that I've been familiar with for years, but I've only ever heard of them through headphones, through Spotify, where it's MP3 quality. And so when you hear something on vinyl, you're hearing that extra, extra texture. Yeah. <laughs> you're hearing all those extra textures of, of music and, and instruments that particularly like bass and things that are a bit lower in the mix. So I'm going to really have to put on spirits i'll start with side two and i'll get to stop think again and i'll have a stop and think again about this song you don't get the crackle and pop and things as i say on cd but what you do gain is warmthness yeah and the clarity yeah and i think some vinyls didn't they use different mix or something on the vinyl to what you get on cd in terms of loudness yeah yes yeah in terms of how the groove would go into the lacquer Mm. cut the music so that the needle doesn't bounce out of the groove with too much bass but I'm interested in people's opinions, what they think on this song, if, if they've got the vinyl. And have you compared the 2020 and 1979 vinyls? No, I haven't actually. No, no. I just put this new one on and bought myself a new cleaning machine. That um, And that is really good because I've been bringing my vinyls down from sort of 40 years ago. And it, it it's fantastic. It it brings them up virtually like new. Obviously, you can't, if a scratch is there, a scratch is always going to be there. But it does eliminate a lot of these pops and, and things. Yeah, it's amazing. What's been the best upgrade from this cleaning? Because I did something on a previous podcast. I thought RSO weren't particularly brilliant. And I think at the time I was referring to Mr. Natural yeah. on vinyl. You know, it's more pops and crackles and things. But I've given that a really deep clean. And that's that's come out not too bad, actually. But going back to this track... It definitely works well on the vinyl. Going back to albinism again, there's a quote from Albie and he goes on to say, it's like a B.B. King song, just a great slow blues ballad and a fantastic song that should be covered by somebody. But I remember it was the most tape edits I think I've ever done on one track. 
It was very slow tempo and it was very hard to play. And we finally got a take that we thought had all the right dynamics and the right feel. It sort of moved me around a lot at the time. I remember there must have been 150 splices in it. Taking time out was easy. Putting time in meant that it needed the ambience. So we had little bits of tape all over the wall, like markings on them. He'd find the right piece with the tape on it and splice it in. That must have been a bit complicated. This is, I suppose, would you class it as a jazzy blues ballad? And I think we've spoken in previous podcasts about the, the Bee Gees writing songs that these songs come out of thin air and then we've also heard of interviews with I think it's Barry saying we, or Robin we see a title of a song and we can sometimes work from there now this is one of those titles that I think could have come from composing another song you know where they're composing it and one says stop think again that's not <laughs> that's not right or something yeah. you just don't know do you it's an elusive title it makes a good title for a song and the lyrics I think are rather melodramatic. The song comes across like a kitchen sink drama. And the Chicago horns really add to that feeling. From daybreak to sunset, you are the heart of me, saying what you don't really mean. Now I know where you go and all the plans you made, playing for a love, not a dream. All that I want is you now, and somehow I let you down. And I do like the way that the song has a sense of passing of time to it because that's the opening verse from daybreak to sunset and then you go to the last verse and it's midnight you leave me taking the part of me that loves you like he loves you only more birds cry my sky falls darkness becomes my life he got you i got nothing to be living for i'd say that all that's missing from this song really is the black dyke mills colliery band to provide some english kitchen sink arrangements It's just a pity it took seven minutes to get from daybreak to midnight. (laughs) I know, yeah. (laughs) Not a bad song, but it is my least favourite on this album. Maybe this album's too good for this song to stand out. But I do know they had a couple of songs that they they could quite easily have replaced it with. We'll come to it shortly, but I always class the 11th song on this as Desire. But I think that was virtually worked on, because I presume Andy just overdubbed his vocals. So there were tracks in the can that they could have used, but they probably just feel that they'd done quite a lot of of up-tempo ones and wanted to put this one in. But it already feels like a... The weak spot on side two. Like many of the other songs on this album, the demo of Stop Think Again just sounds like it's one step away from completion. But with regards to the track listing of the demo, I don't know whether this was an original track listing for the album or if it's just a reshuffled list because it starts with an instrumental which we'll get onto later on then it goes to track two too much heaven track three reaching out track four stop think again then it goes on to search find and then love you inside out i'm satisfied tragedy living together and side two closes with spirits oh okay 
So my score on this one, Chris, is going to be a six. And a five. On to track three on side two, Living Together. probably already guess what i'm gonna say about this one bit robin yep (laughs) yeah excellent to hear him again if very briefly this like search find is a jaunty high energy number i don't think this would have been out of place on children of the world but i just think this brilliantly picks things up after the lulls of stop think again we mentioned i think on shadow dancing podcast about intros well i think this one certainly makes a statement of intent doesn't it Sort of quite classical, isn't it? The way it, it sort of leads in. Compared to if you listen to the, the demo, which sounds like the grandfather of the crazy frog. I love the demo of this one. This is a complete U-turn, isn't it? The synth intro of the demo has a remarkably different melody to the brass synth, or just real brass used in the final song. And both lead perfectly into Barry's opening solo voice. But I think that there's something about the sound that's used in a demo that's so different to anything else on this album that it would have been good to have kept that in. intro when Barry's voice comes in it sits on its own before the rest of the instrumentation kicks in he says why ain't we living and it's on the extended word living that then all of the instrumentation kicks in and it adds good melodrama to the song in the chorus don't we get Barry singing the chorus in falsetto and then back himself in natural in natural like you say living together and then the back instead of being together yeah not Morris I thought to myself, is that Moe's deep voice we can hear on this? But I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, for me, it's a goosebump moment where they sing, I lay my heart for you and you can show the way, which I think is Robin, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Good bit of lyrics there. Yeah. What do you think of Robin's falsetto? It's fine. Could you always tell that it was him? No. It's only through Gibbs songs. I would never have known. Well, I think I say no, but what, what I mean is, is that with Robin, you're so used to his voice i mean on the previous album you get it with love me very robin and then you get it on mr natural with mr natural and then so you're expecting if when robin's going to sing he's going to sing like that on this and he doesn't so it takes a few listens and you think "Mm, is that robin by this point are we eight tracks into this album we've had barry falsetto as the main vocal across all of these songs so at this point you've you've probably tuned your mind out from detecting robin or morris True. and when this slips in this robin falsetto which we haven't really heard before it fits in so smoothly into barry's falsetto that if you're not looking for it or hearing it trying to hear it 
it could just pass you by. Exactly. So with that in mind, then, I listened to the vocal only of this with Robin singing it. And that is quite good because he, he does let you listen to it. Um, and all it's, you know, he does put in a good falsetto on this. Lyrically, Living Together is like a response to You Stepped Into My Life. Both songs have a similar metre to the chorus. You Stepped Into My Life, so now why aren't we living together? We've mentioned well, a lot of times Hall and Oates. Their album Ecstatic, this song sort of reminds me of the chorus from Running From Paradise. Very 78, you've had this opening side too then from living together going straight into search find then unsatisfied desire yeah it could go into desire then until and i class living together search find and then we'll get on to unsatisfied the three songs all come across rather similar and i said the same thing about the last three songs on shadow dancing where they all feel like they're of a piece but Living Together does enough to up the tempo on the album that it's it's fine by me. I've always enjoyed it. I'll go back to the um, interview with uh, Spencer Gibb and he goes on to say, talking about this, this song really showcases my dad's crazy falsetto. It's nuts. Spirits is one of the first BG records that didn't feature my dad heavily on lead vocals and I wish there had been more of that. It's my only real criticism of it. If you take a look at the 60s, in many respects, or even most respects, my dad was the voice of the Bee Gees. In the 70s, Barry became the voice. And by the time they got to Spirits, my dad had sung lead on a lot of tracks on Children of the World. And Saturday Night Fever wasn't backing away from that. Specifically, there were other songs he sang on that that didn't get to finish before they submitted stuff for the film. There was a big preoccupation with having hits. There was a big preoccupation with having cohesive sound. And I think that my dad kind of took a back seat vocally in terms of leads because they wanted the cohesive sound. They wanted the hits, which is what I said. I think being a really well-produced album and a little bit of experimentation, I think that's probably where Robin did a lot of work on. Coming in and, and saying, at a first listen, this works, this doesn't work, change this, adjust that. There must be so many changes and little adjustments and tweaks that he did across these albums from the late 70s that we don't quite know about. I think that he was responsible for them. I've gone up to an eight on this one. And I've gone up to a seven. 
Are you satisfied with the next song? <laughs> I am. The jaunt of living together carries on into I'm Satisfied. And this one has a Calypso-ish feel to it. Yeah, sort of a semi-reggae feel. Which is nice to hear on a Bee Gees record. By this point on the album, however, I've overindulged on Barry's falsetto. And this made me think of the question, and I'll propose it to you. The songs on this album, were they composed as every Bee Gees song was, and then Barry applied the falsetto? Or were they composed for the falsetto? I would say composed for the falsetto. Going back to that quote from Spencer Gibb, that his father just wanted the hits. I'm under the impression that this this was all done. And I think had it not been done in, in falsetto, you would have caught that on the demos. I've put on here, it's yet again another another falsetto. Which is a shame, as the tempo is different from anything else on the album. Reflecting on Barry's falsetto, Blue Weaver recalled, I always wanted Barry to sing in real voice again, because I just love his real voice. But I was getting off on the songs, you know? It was great. So I wasn't really thinking, oh, this is falsetto. But it's quite nice that this song has no introduction. We're straight in to the chorus. It's like something's been chopped off the beginning. You think that there would be some sort of extended well, intro. I, th- I thought that, but when you listen to the demo, that, that starts exactly the same yeah, as well. It's a bit of a stuttered, staggered intro with the beat coming in. And, and I think that's what gives it the Calypso reggae-ish feel is that the voices almost sit slightly out of sync on top of the rhythm. But actually, I think this is one of the most fascinating demos that we have from this album, because whereas a majority of the others, as we said, sound more like rough mixes, with I'm Satisfied, it really does sound like an early demo. from the demo Robin is very prominent throughout on the opening chorus I can hear it as Robin who leads in with his falsetto before Barry comes in with the first verse oh good for you because I put on my notes here I can I think I can just about make him out on the chorus you've done better than me then spotting him out sadly I think he might have been mixed out by the final version but this demo actually gives me more appreciation for the final song which I think is a mark of a good demo a good early version will make you reevaluate the final version because you're hearing it in a primitive state. Now, a couple of months ago, when we was you was asking me to send you over songs of bits and pieces of forthcoming podcasts, and I sent you on for Robin and Marcia's help me. I think they seem the same words, satisfy and satisfied. Very similar in that to in this. I want somebody to keep 
that's a good spot. And like the demo, it, it gives you a bit more appreciation for the song. And actually listening to Help Me, it does make you wonder whether I'm satisfied maybe was a bit more Robin than Barry. I've thought that. In its composition. Yeah, and I'm hoping it is. One of my favourite parts of this is, is the bridge, where you've got the interplay between Barry and then you've got the instrumental backing. And the way it leads back into the song with those, sort of, I would just say, piercing high notes. And it could quite easily have ended there, but that probably would have been a bit too easy. They then go and create like a counter melody, which is underneath it, which works sub- sublimely, works really well. When you listen to the demo, the counter melody hasn't been put in at that point. Oh, okay. Which is why this demo is so early on. So whether that extra bit was another song that they couldn't work, tacked it onto the bottom of this one. Yeah, or it's one of those things they just worked on in the studio. The demo was done separately and then they brought this into the studio and all three of them have worked on it. With this one, I'm going to go with the seven. And I've gone with the six. Okay. You were like the morning sun and I knew we were in love we were alone to dream a dream we held our love and held our hearts Well, I first heard this one when it was the B-side to Tragedy. So, what a complete contrast to two songs. Do you think this feels a bit like a demo? Or do you think it was intended to sound very sort of minimalistic? Until is a song that's more about the vibe, production and the mood than, say, the lyrics, chorus, etc. Words that I would use to describe it are ethereal, unusual and, most strangely, unresolved. Like... The song Children of the World at the end of Children of the World and I'm Weeping at the end of Two Years On. This one really nicely loops us back in to the beginning of the album with Tragedy. But Until is a song that's just like so very few others in the Bee Gees catalogue. If we're thinking of the original title of Spirits Having Flown, Passing Thought, Until also feels like just a passing thought, flowing in, flowing out. Oh yeah. It's got just something very ephemeral about it and very otherworldly. And I love that. I I just think it's such a nice vibish way to close off the album. And actually, if you look at it holistically, the lyrics read more like a poem than a song. You were a lovely child and your hair was like the morning sun. And I knew we were in love. We were alone to dream a dream We held our love that held our hearts 
and who we are, we who knew, all there was in life and coming through, and every lonely sad mistake, every change and interchange we make, we held our love, and that held our hearts, until, until. It's beautiful, isn't it? Really beautiful. I don't know whether you've noticed, but um, we started the 70s with a stripped back a cappella of two years on. And now we are at the end of the decade, the last album, last track, a very exposed, delicate song. And it's as if they're saying goodbye to the 70s. That's true. I'd never thought of it like that. I mean, this song does divide on the internet. I've seen people that don't like it, said it never should have been on there. I think at just over two minutes. It's harmless. It, it's harmless. I've mentioned before with early albums by Gilbert O'Sullivan where he always used to put in an intro to an album and an outro. Could you say this was more of an outro sort of drifting off? Because it, it does have an end in this one. It doesn't fade, does it? After the, the last two words, until, until, and then you get the, the popcorn squelchy synth just picking its way out of the melody. It, it's a really lovely ending. You go on about looping things straight into the next one. This would loop quite well into Living Eyes. That's true. You mentioned when we did the um, Staying Alive, how much you enjoyed the bridge on that and how they didn't use them. Quite rightly, what you said earlier, this could have been from something like that that they did develop or it was just a little something that Barry worked on. I get the impression it was it, this was more Barry. I've thought about that. And in its finished state, is this how this song was always meant to be? Or was there a following chorus or bridge that came after this but all we have is this part of the song because notably there's no early version there's no demo of this one from what I can tell until really just started and ended as it is I think this was intentional to put this little short song at the end I don't think it was a last minute thing whether they were going to put Desire on as the last track That would link nicely until Into Desire. They've got a similar feel to them. We've gone into this album and talking about every song with this notion that this is a 10-track album of 10 lead falsettos from Barry. Until actually doesn't really have a falsetto when you listen to it. It's Barry in head voice, but it's not falsetto because it doesn't really feel like a fully formed song. It reads a bit more like a poem. We probably forget that it's not sung in that same register as the rest of the songs on this album. It's the fact that it's neither here nor there that gives it that dreamlike ethereal quality. So angelic Very angelic. Yeah, yeah, very angelic. On Facebook, we had a comment from Hubert DeMaze about Until, and he said, We've often heard about Gibb compositions never released officially, like City of Angels on Living Eyes. Until feels like one of those. It's the last track, only 148 seconds long. Barry and Blue Weaver only sounds almost a cappella. No top 40 commercial hit potential at all. But the brothers did that, when they reach stratospheric fame. Album sales skyrocketed. They were in total control of their craft. So, I understand why listeners do not like this song, unless you are a crazy Gib fan like me, or like us. Yeah, that's a really good analysis by Hubert. 
I think it's quite nice that artists do go and do these sort of things. As you know, I'm a big fan of Stevie Wonder. He was really on a winning streak, the same as the Bee Gees, really, probably from about 72, 73 onwards. So I would think probably his peak was about 80. And he, I think on one of his albums, I think it's Fulfillness, he does a song called They Won't Go Where I Go. And that is very stark. Okay. And then George Michael does a cover of it on his Listen Without Prejudice album, which is really good. Again. I really need to get into Stevie Wonder. I've yeah. not played any of his albums in full. Definitely. I mean, the first one I had, I think, was Hotter Than July, which is really good. And then well, I was all over the place with Stevie Wonder. So then I've, I've gone back to Songs in the Key of Life, which is really good. The last few albums I'm not so keen on. 90s onwards, I, I, I lost him a little bit. I think Characters, he wasn't too bad in about 88. Um, and then he did an album with, with Part-Time Love on it. And you know, some good stuff on there. But to definitely that hot period in, in the um, 70s. Okay. But definitely on this song, you'll see the similarities in the starkness of the way he was doing and what Barry and, the, and his, they did with this one. We'll take more than he will He will give. It bookends the album, and it's so unconventional that it it just has a quite a special place in their canon. There's nothing really else you can compare it to. I was looking over the Bee Gees, all of their albums, and they don't really ever have many conventional album closers. I'm Weeping, Two Years On, Sweet Song of Summer, Tomb It May Concern, and then the next album we get a very big, grandiose, orchestral Be Who You Are. And then on Odessa we had a similar thing. And then ESP, we have a reprise that leads us out of the album. So they always have something up their sleeve for the final track. And, and this is one of the highlights. But I think this goes back to what I said, wasn't it, on um, Mr. Natural, where they, they tended to go for a, probably a slightly bit more dreamy end to an album. Yeah. Dreamlike quality runs throughout Spirits Having Flown. And then we've got the, the dreamy, whimsical front cover of the album. So this just fits into that mood really nicely. And I don't think it would have worked to have a Robin vocal on this as the last track. Because you can't have sort of eight, nine tracks of all Barry and then any of the last track with Robin. It just, would, it just wouldn't have worked. So on that then, I had a difficult score in this one. I was torn between a seven and an eight. Because as I say, I, I've, I've always liked this. I might go for a seven. I'd like to go for seven and a half, but I'll probably stick with a seven. I, I had the same dilemma as you, but I'll... Nudge up to an eight. Okay, well, by the time you've done the edit, I might decide to change my mind. (laughs) 
So we've now finished the spirits. So while Christiana goes and gets me another glass full, we'll go through some of the unreleased tracks. So the first one we've got we've come across is on the demos. The first track there is an instrumental. It's just a backing track for a song, but I have no idea what song it is. I've been trying to work this out for weeks. I've been listening to it and there's sometimes I listen to it and I think, yeah, I know what song this is from. Other times I listen to it and I think there's bits and pieces that are spread across various songs. I listen to it and I think, is this even something from Spirits? Is this something from Saturday Night Fever? Is this in part, is it like a save me, save me or nothing going to keep me from you instrumental? Is it something from Children of the World? We spoke about the leftover song that we've not heard called Boogie Summer. Could this be something like that? I've got no idea. Or is this an instrumental of things to come in the 80s? Or is it just completely original and unused? I don't know, but I'll go through now a couple of the tracks that were supposedly written that I have not heard. I'll go through a couple of titles. One's called Castles. This is Goodbye, Ecstasy, Feelings, and there's also a track called Back in Your Arms. Now, I mentioned on Too Much Heaven how a guy from Steve Hoffman heard the track. Well, he's actually heard Back in Your Arms. So what I'll do, if I just read you the part and and listening to what he's saying, I'm wondering whether it could be this. Back in Your Arms is a very funky mid-tempo dance track with Barry on lead vocals in his high falsetto range throughout. What I heard was a full band outtake and a complete run-through of approximately four minutes. The lyrics clearly had not been finished as most of the vocals consist of Barry scat singing the melody, with the exception being the chorus. And the chorus goes, sometimes I wish I was back in your arms again, as well as some random phrases and words mixed with the scat singing. This outtake is extremely catchy and could easily have been worked on into a strong track. I'm guessing it was never completed because it does have a similar vibe to other songs from the sessions, i.e. Love You Inside Out in particular and they were so busy at the time, Back In Your Arms would make for a terrific bonus track if we ever got a deluxe edition of Spirits. of the beat and the rhythm of the instrumental did it stand out much to you i just think it's it's a band groove yeah groove working their way through and trying to find a melody or or something i'm just pulling at straws that it might be from back in your arms now there are four other songs that i've got desire which we mentioned earlier we will cover that on after dark 
They also did Where Do I Go, which then went to Jimmy Ruffin. And also Forever Forever went to Jimmy Ruffin. It was also, in brackets, Nobody. Probably was a previous title to it. And the last track we have is The Love Inside, which was covered by Barbara Streisand. And another track called The Love That Was Lost. This was composed by Morris. And it's for a short promotional film for a charity called The United Way. He wrote it by playing multiple parts on keyboard and he sent the tape to Mike Lewis to be scored for orchestra. Mike was the usual arranger for KC and the Sunshine Band. And for the recording of The Love That Was Lost, Morris asked Blue Weaver to play the piano and Mike Lewis conducted the orchestra that was hired for the session. So Morris wasn't at the recording. So that'd be quite interesting to hear. It's about six and a half minutes long. And there's one further title on Gibbs songs called Whirlpool. From what I can gather, this was a going to be a film made by David English and Barry, and it would focus on drug smugglers in Miami. It's unknown how much work was done on the project, but I don't think it, it was ever finished. So whether Whirlpool was the name of the story or whether there was a theme tune to go with it that it, he composed. And that was about it, really. For Christmas 78, they put out a fan club record and that had an interview, which we I'll get Chris to use bits of the interview for this podcast. And on the B-side was a bit of a... It's called The Rescue of Bonnie Prince Wally. It's one of those where they, they were big fans of the goons, which were Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan and Harry Seacombe that were very popular in the 50s sort of abstract comedy and I, I would presume this is during the period of the Breeches were growing up so it must have appealed to their sense of humour I'll play you a little clip and then you can make your mind up but it does go on for quite a bit it's Prince Wally by golly Wally, Wally by George, can you hear us? I'm here, here. where? yes, yeah, look I can see him he's where? over there look over there, it's a kilt in the ultimate biography Barry Gibb recalls we have a serialisation called The Adventures of Sonny Jim. It only happens at recording sessions, and no one else ever hears them. We do them to relax ourselves when we're singing. So we do them first, have a bit of a laugh, and then we're ready. And supposedly these adventures started during the recording of Main Course. Okay. And then David English recalls what they used to do in between takes they used to just lark around in the writing room upstairs at the studio. They were very influenced by the goons, so that was just something that they came up with. It happened, just like when they write, they get very prolific. And I would think what it, it takes the pressure off with it, if they come to a hard part in a song, they say, right, we're going to have a break. Yeah. Relax, do something different, then they go back to it. It's the worst Scottish you accent I've ever heard. Night or sir, and we can walk away from this story with our heads held up. Hoop McGregor! Hoop McGregor, a Campbell's. Gonna, do oh, it, your highness. Oh, we go and stick your porridge up your yeah. nose. Yeah, yeah. he's going to make us a night. This isn't going to get us a night. What you don't know is that I'm not really a prisoner here. <gasps> so regarding this fan club, I found a bit of info on this. Now, for $6, you got a year's membership and you got a nice sort of package. It came in a three-sided folder with a colour photo of the brothers on the front. Inside was a membership card, a change of address card, a refer a friend card, a pink gift membership application card, and a large poster of the group, and an official membership certificate suitable for framing, a personal biography of the Bee Gees page, a newsletter, 
four eight by ten photos of the group, a trio photo and individual shots of Barry, Robin and Morris. And then obviously this, as we talked about, this seven inch single. I don't know what equivalent in 1979 $6 was, but um, you certainly, compared to today's um, prices, you get quite a lot for your money. Even if you don't need a pink gift membership card, <laughs> you still got you still get uh, you still get your money's worth on that one. You know, this fan club is 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 is, is going to be a little bit more innovative than the average fan club, and you know, hopefully that's going to be. So nice any other one that you're in, you may as well leave now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leave all other fan clubs. What you're trying it. to say, Barry, is that this this fan club is more than the average. Fan club. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I just said. Would you, would you say yeah. above average? I'd say it was sort of. Really above average. In fact, it was in the category of special. That's Good what I wanted to hear. Yeah, same yeah. here. Another thing, Chris, that's worth searching out is there's a jam with Glenn Campbell and Willie Nelson, and this was on the. BG special, I think, from February '79, and it's it's really good actually because they do some really good versions of some of these fifty hits like "Bye Bye Love." I think then there's a Glenn Campbell hit, "All I Have to Do Is Dream." Really good. Um, in fact, it's probably one of the best bits. A bit like when we talked about um, was it Main Course or Mr. Natural when we talked about oh, which episode was it when we talked about them rocking out or was it the end of Tin Can? They did "Hey Jude." That was they? the midnight special. Yeah they're let loose and this this is very similar as well when it's really great to see them sitting there and i think they've got cigarettes in hand and they're really giving it good uh... they tend to do that when they're as soon as the beaches are covering somebody else's work i think it's because they're not protective it's not their babies as barry would describe their songs so they can just be let free and and improvise and this is a jam session as rolling stone described it really great covers we also have things like Ray Charles's I Can't Stop Loving You and Party Doll, Rocky Billy hit. It's just fun to see the Bee Gees having fun. Probably too many spirits. <laughs> <laughs> February the 15th, the Bee Gees, they were nominated for six categories for the Grammys and they won four of them. So that was some going, wasn't it? They got the award for the best single for Staying Alive, the best production, best vocal performance by a duo, group or chorus, best album for Saturday Night Fever soundtrack and they lost out to the record and songwriter of the year that went to Billy Joel for Just The Way You Are. To promote Spirits Having Flown, the Bee Gees embarked on a huge tour of North America going from the 28th of June to the 6th of October. The set list on average contained 21 songs. The set started with Tragedy, going into Edge of the Universe, Night Fever, Love So Right, Staying Alive, 
New York Mining Disaster, Run To Me, Too Much Heaven, Holiday, I Can't See Nobody, Lonely Days, I Started A Joke, Massachusetts, How Can You Mend A Broken Heart, Nights On Broadway, To Love Somebody, Words, Wind Of Change, How Deep Is Your Love, Jive Talking, You Should Be Dancing As The Encore. Good set list. Very good. Surprisingly, only two from Spirits made it into the set list, and there's a few others that could have made their way in. Search, Find would have been a good one. Spirits Having Flown, Love You Inside Out would have been a really good one. But as it is, a very strong set. And what was the old-time medley on the Children of the World tour, I think remained in part. It seems like we have a, a big run-through of those 60s hits. And that would stay with them, wouldn't it? Yeah, that acoustic ballad. But yeah, we're seeing the songs from Main Course and Children of the World have been refined and... Mr. Natural is now completely out. But that's the tour, isn't it, with, with the plane? I've had a look on that and I've, I've read it goes, In 1979, following a number of bad events, Led Zeppelin cancelled their regular tour across America and the Bee Gees pop group became the next clients of the Superplane. Now, the Gibb Brothers already had enormous popularity around the world, selling discs with sales of millions of copies. The recent album Spirits Have Flown has been hugely successful and it wasn't surprising that their tour of the cities of the US was undertaken with special grandiosity. For this purpose, the plane was once again completely repainted. On its fuselage and tail was written the name of the album and a characteristic logo featuring profiles of the group members. However, for the plane, it was to be the last star tour. Led Zeppelin's tour of the cities of the US due to take place was cancelled because of John Bonham's death and effectively the demise of a well-known rock group. So I don't know what, what happened to the plane then, but... Um, Carried a great legacy. Yes, including the Bee Gees. Released in October 1979, Bee Gees Greatest is a 2LP set and the track listing goes as Side 1, Jive Talking, Night Fever, Tragedy, You Should Be Dancing, Staying Alive, Side 2, How Deep Is Your Love, Love So Right, Too Much Heaven, Our Love Don't Throw It All Away, Fanny Be Tender With My Love, Side 3, If I Can't Have You, You Stepped Into My Life, Love Me, More Than A Woman, Rest Your Love On Me, and Side 4, Nights On Broadway, Spirits, Having Flown, Love You Inside Out, Wind of Change, Children of the World. So we're saying Bee Gees Greatest, but really it's Bee Gees Greatest of the last four years. Yeah, and I suppose it enables them to put all the Saturday Night Fever tracks grouped together. What are your thoughts on this compilation? Well, I mean, I didn't buy it, but I did tape it. I mean, it's great to get Rest Your Love on it. Whether you class Children of the World as the greatest hit, I don't know. I would have liked to have seen Babies You Turn Away instead so looking at the chart positions putting in the greatest was a, was a good idea it got to number one in the US number six in the UK not so well in Germany number 43 I think as a compilation looking over the past three or four years of music it's absolutely fine as you said it's understandable that they would release this in order to package up all of the music from Saturday Night Fever and also things from b-sides and off cuts so it's nice to just get everything collated together and also 
October 79, we're two months from the start of the 80s. So this is a nice way to just package up what the Bee Gees were doing. Around the release of Love You Inside Out and Bits and Pieces, there were stories printed about them having internal problems that might lead to another split. People magazine quoted an unnamed source as saying, everyone is jealous of Barry. He writes the stuff, he produces the albums, he's the big lead vocalist, all the girls think he's the sexiest one. It really is too much for Robin and Morris. The rumours obviously were hotly denied by the Bee Gees camp. Rapport within the Bee Gees has never been better, Robert claimed. They're working together better than ever done before. That current story has no foundations whatsoever. I know there are rumours that Barry does more on records than Robin and I, Morris said. I don't know how that rock got started, but I hate it and resent it. It's a load of shit. (laughs) People get the impression because Barry's out on front and gets quite a bit of attention for his work with Carl and Albie on other people's songs from his work with Andy. But as far as their records are concerned, we all contribute equally and all produce equally. Barry also emphasised the group's outside projects as well as the immediate future for the Bee Gees. He goes on to say, I'm currently finishing Andy's album and will start work on Barbara Streisand's next January. He also announced Robin and Blue Weaver are producing records for Jimmy Ruffin and Morris is writing the music for Robert Stingwood's film called The Fan. And at the time, did you have any anticipation of things that were to come in the next decade no, for the Bee Gees? Not a clue. I mean, we just assumed they wrote this album for Barbara. Then after that was going to be a Bee Gees album and just carry on Bee Gees albums. Nobody could foresee, I suppose, at the time, the response to Living Eyes. And I, I assume the response to Living Eyes encouraged them to go back, take a step back even further and go back into producing. Looking at some critical reviews for Spirits Having Flown... In the 3rd of February 1979 issue of Cashbox, the reviewer writes, Spirits Having Flown, the trio's first studio album since Children of the World, contains a variety of material, ranging from pulsing disco-flavoured works to romantic pop ballads. But whether it be the fiery Search Find or the understated Reaching Out, virtually all of the LP's songs here exhibit the group's patented falsetto vocals, crisp, full-bodied arrangements, and stellar production values. In the 5th of April 1979 issue of Rolling Stone, Stephen Holden writes, Most of the songs are sung with perfect pitch, but the trio's piercing collective falsetto, built around Barry's lead vocals, is so relentless that the few moments in which the voices drop to their natural register come as a relief. Throughout Spirits Having Flown, the synthesizer is integrated with far more assurance than before, so that the strongest songs outstrip ABBA in sophistication while maintaining the requisite Europop tone of brittle, ultra-accessible cordiality. The title track is the producer's piece de resistance. Spirits Having Flown carries international sci-fi religioso pop to a decorative peak of opulence. On to listener thoughts. On Facebook... Louis Galetto says, I think Spirits Having Flown could have been one of the greatest albums of all time due to the quality of the writing and production if it wasn't for the near-constant falsetto. Listening to the album from beginning to end is a bit of a task, 
even for hardcore fans. On email, Daniel Navarro says, Spirit was my first album I got as a Bee Gees fan. I was lining in Belgium when a classmate of mine handed me a cassette tape of this new album. Tragedy was, and still is, the most perfect single for me. I remember seeing the video for Too Much Heaven as well. It took a while until I really got into Until. One had to just listen to it and get lost in it. I loved Robin's falsetto in Living Together. And then on email, Mike Jordan said, My best friend Rob bought the Spirits Having Flown album on cassette in 1979 when we were 15 and we played it to death. At that point, I'd heard Tragedy and Too Much Heaven on the radio and was already familiar with the Saturday Night Fever singles, but did not own any. I had a weekend job which paid me the handsome sum of £5, sometimes £10, which meant I could usually afford to buy an LP each week. I went to the record shop, I do miss Woolworths, and discovered that, by then, Bee Gees Greatest had been released, October 1979, and so I bought that. With its magnificent gatefold sleeve and full-size photos of the brothers, this collection gave me not only the Spirits hits, but all the Saturday Night Fever singles and top tracks from Children of the World and Main Course. This was perfect. Now I knew what I was getting into. One thing I remember very clearly when Rob and I played Spirits was that we didn't know who sang what. There were clearly at least three voices, and there were three Gibb brothers. Originally, we decided Barry was singing pretty much all of them. So, living together aside, we were right about that. We thought maybe the whispery, breathy voice singing the verses of the title track was Robin, interesting, and Mo was singing harmonies in a lower register. We weren't too far off. When we then played Bee Gees Greatest, we heard another voice on Love Me, and I think at that point we decided that must be Robin. You have to remember that even if they were on TV chat shows or Top of the Pops, they'd only be seen singing their latest single, so there were no clues there either. Very true. See, there was no internet then. You're seeing nothing, was it? So you just relied on on these... That's why they used to appear in a lot of these sort of chat shows and entertainment shows, because it's the only sort of exposure they were going to get. We also had an email from Craig Eagleson, who went through his thoughts on spirits and also provided his ratings for the songs and categorised them from the lowest rating of 6 up to the highest rating of 10. So he said, at number 10 was Search Find, as his favourite, he gave it a 10. He said, favourite song on the album, amazing song, arrangement, production and playing. It's not cluttered at all. Dennis's drumming has a great groove. The horns provide an urgency. Alan's rhythm playing on this track in particular is sublime and the vocals deliver an urgency supporting the lyrics. In the nines, Craig ranked Spirits Having Flown, Beautiful Arrangement, Love the Natural Voice and the Instrumental Coda, Stop, Think Again, Similar to Search, Find, Great Arrangement and Playing, and the Chicago Horns really add to this song, and Tragedy as Iconic. In the eights, he has Until, a simple, beautiful, and perfectly placed to close the album, Living Together, as a great Robin vocal and R&B groove, and reaching out and I'm satisfied. In the sevens, he rates Too Much Heaven, maybe because of the oversaturation from its popularity, but it just seems bland. And in the sixes, Love You Inside Out. I like the variety in the chorus, bridge, outro, back to the verse, but not as strong as the rest of the album. Which I thought was some interesting ratings. 
quite different to our own opinions. But it's nice to hear that, though, isn't it? Yeah. You get people's different points of views. So not always the, the big singles is everybody's favourite, is it? We'll take a look at the listener scores for Spirits Having Flown. In ninth place was Until, 7.1. In eighth place, Stop, Think Again. That's where I thought it would be. In at seventh place, I'm Satisfied, 7.5. Sixth place, Reaching Out, 7.7. In at fifth place was Search Find with a 7.9. Oh, okay, yeah. In at fourth place was Living Together. That's all the Robin fans, was it? For the Robin fans, yeah, that had an 8 out of 10. And also um, my girlfriend, Marielle, since listening to Spirits Having Flown Part 1, yeah, she loves this track. It's one of her favourites on the album. And it gave me a new appreciation for it. Listening back to it, listening back to the demo, I can understand why she likes it so much. When she heard Shadow Dancing, she'd not heard the album before listening to our podcast. I don't make her listen to it. She listens to it out of her own choice. I was going to say. (laughs) And she really liked all of the Andy songs on side two. She wasn't that keen on Our Love Don't Throw It All Away. She's not that keen on Too Much Heaven. I think she prefers the more up-tempo numbers. And that's what Living Together is. In third place was Love You Inside Out with 8.8. In second place, Tragedy with 8.9. And in joint first place was Too Much Heaven and Spirits Having Flown. I would agree with the top two. I was I was expecting number one to be either um, Too Much Heaven or Tragedy. Yeah, I think that Spirits is the one that's grown in stature, that has been discovered. And we get quite a bit of Barry on his natural voice on that one as well, don't we? So, excellent stuff. Spirits Having, having Flown was a very important album in terms of a studio album. Because, Shot on the right. <laughs> basically because, in fact, it did close to six million copies just in the what? states alone. oh in the states yes something like 16 million worldwide yeah worldwide i'm just talking about in the states alone and it was number one record in this country album and it called th- three hit singles and it brought our tally in america to six consecutive number one singles in a row tying with the beatles well that that um that alone makes it important but what happened the 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 the, the thing that makes it unique is that it was it was it, it came out literally too soon after fever um, we couldn't gauge it at that point because we didn't know when the, 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 the correct time to bring out an album was when right. Fever was totally dead or with it still being in the air. And it's, we were treating Fever like a normal, normal album. And of course, it clearly was the normal album. And it was going to be around a long time, even though it was off the charts. But it still wasn't off the charts, actually, when, Fever, when, when Spirits came out. So we had all of this going with Fever, uh, with Spirits, I should say. And Spirits, because it came out so close to Fever, actually got lost in that whole fever syndrome but it did sell independently of fever uh, oh tre- yeah tremendous sales but when people look on, on it back on it some of those songs on the spirits album they actually think we're in saturday night fever it was all so close together how did spirits having flown perform in the charts well as i say it was a hit all over the world on March the 3rd, 1979, it became the Bee Gees' first number one album on the Billboard charts. And it remained there for six weeks and, believe it or not, went to spend a total of 55 weeks in the chart. US number one, UK number one, Germany number one. Worldwide, the album is estimated to have sold approximately 30 million copies. And no super deluxe edition. <laughs> <laughs> So with that phenomenal success, does that feel like a a full stop? 
that this burst from, well, from main course to spirits, do you tend to think that's one entity? In terms of the Bee Gees 70s discography and also Bee Gees albums being released under their own name, yes, I do think of it as a full stop with Living Eyes as kind of an in-between. And then I consider the 80s for the most part to just be material that they gave away and produced for other artists until their late 80s come back. So I think for this period, yes, it is a full stop. I have read that in 1979, Barry was interviewed and already then he was saying that our next album is going to be drastically different. He wants to change the style, not do all falsetto. So it's quite interesting, 79, he's saying that. And then obviously we get living eyes in two years time. Which is drastically different. Yeah. Well, I think now that Chris brings us to the end of everything spirit-wise, don't you? Lower the lights because it's time to go into some after-dark territory. So we'll look forward to that one. And I'll say goodbye from me, Stuart. And goodbye from me, Cristiano. Take it away, Andy. Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepson. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. There is no-